Well, let's all take refuge together. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. Well, thanks everyone for being here. It's wonderful to see so many friends on the Zoom screen and here in the Zendo. I really, I can't imagine a, a more loving, more authentic assembly of beings to share this transition with. And I feel your support, I feel your connection now. So thank you for that. And I couldn't possibly thank all of the countless teachers, residents, friends, ancestors, practitioners of all kinds who have guided and encouraged and supported me on this path and during my time at the monastery. Um, it certainly has been vital, all of that support. And also this land, this amazing place on the earth with all of its seen and unseen forces and all of the mysteries it contains. So it's been a life of unimaginable riches here at the monastery for me. So my time here at the monastery has been multifaceted, nine and a half years. Uh, however, on some level, it's just been one long session. So <laughs> I'm going to share some reflections on my experience, and my hope is that all of this will be immediately relevant for everyone, uh, especially those who are just finishing Sashin. Uh, as you integrate, align yourself with the spirit of Sashin, and just return to life with open hands, uh, that some of this will be helpful to you. There's so much that I've learned and unlearned and just so much transformation that has happened during this time. And it hasn't always been what I had in mind. Uh, the aspiration to cross to the other shore, to attain the ultimate deathless realization uh, aspiration I still have hasn't always been the way that the path manifested, but it has always been exactly the path that has manifested. It's always been exactly the Dharma that has manifested. And perhaps that is really lesson number one. Everything that is appearing is appearing as teaching, as awakening in action. 
to recognize that, to trust in that, has really been perhaps the fundamental lesson of life that uh, I've begun to open up to here. Everything is a teacher. In the Tibetan tradition, this is the guru principle. It's being receptive to teachers in individual human form, but receptive to the teacher in everything. Also, there's so much about this path that I just don't know and can't see. So much about what is manifesting that, uh, that, that I just don't understand. And about where I stand in the larger scheme of things, where I am on the path, the vastness of lifetimes, how it is that karmic conditions are actually ripening and transforming me, how I'm changing, how others are changing. I can't possibly see all of that, my limited mind. And so the call for trust is really deep and is really constant. The more we open up to that, those webs of influence, the more faith is called for. So this has been deeper than I ever imagined, actually, this call to faith. When I arrived here, I was 31 years old, and I'd been through lots of ups and downs in life already. And I really didn't think that I had the capacity to live from that kind of faith. That was not evident to me at all. And, uh, and also the particulars of the path, uh, the five years of celibacy, really setting aside my intellectual interests and literary interests, uh, 108 session approximately, uh, all the monastic discipline. Uh, I really, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought myself capable of all of that. And, uh, but I crossed a threshold and found a wellspring that was really beyond the limited image I had of myself. Really beyond the identity patterns that I had been just kind of retracing in my life. I discovered something that was more true and deeper than all of that, actually. And it turns out that that was actually me, that that was actually what was living through me. The ideas I had about my life were quite confining, quite limited in relation to that. This path, as it's opened up for me, has been really one of faith, of vow and refuge. Those have been key learnings at the monastery for me, learning really what spiritual life is, learning uh, what spiritual practice is all about, learning what my life is all about in a, a very central way. And I'm just beginning to actually to learn how to surrender to that and to learn what that is, to inhabit that mandala. This has also been a path of service. Uh, as the Roshi said, 
learning to live a life of service, uh, that, that was something that I had to open up to. And this is the Bodhisattva vow. This means yoking the energy of my life to the Bodhisattva vow. And part of that moment-to-moment is learning to feel out what actually is of benefit. Learning to actually discern what is beneficial and what is not beneficial. Sometimes in just very practical ways. And that's, that's a skill, that's a constant refinement Getting what I want is not always what's best, actually. It's not always what's beneficial. The thing that I think I want, that isn't always the best thing. So this discernment is beyond my ideas, beyond my opinions about how things should be, what I like, what I don't like, and so forth. It's a really different way of living, a different level of living. So I had to recognize that I'm not always right. (laughs) Right? It sounds kind of absurd, but (laughs) on some level, you know, that's that's what I've spent my years thinking, actually. If I believe something with enough conviction, it must be right. And for me, I had all kinds of sophisticated ways of deceiving myself, trying to think my way out of reality. So I had to let go of those strategies. It's been a path of learning to be flexible and resilient, to continue wholeheartedly and honestly when things aren't going my way and to learn to take adversity as my teacher. And in part, this has meant practicing patience as as an active practice. Learning to live in daily reciprocity and balance with other human beings. being emotionally vulnerable, the give and take of community life. And for me, this has brought a renewed sense of faith in humanity. It's really changed my view of humanity completely, being here, living with people, living so sincerely and genuinely. So that rediscovery of just the basic goodness of human beings has been really, really important for me. It's also been a path of reintegrating basic morality and work ethic and discipline into my character. In some ways, I was kind of like a hippie anarchist slacker (laughs) and was not so good in those areas and uh, resistant to uh, discipline, certain forms of discipline. And, um, you know, I've learned the value. I've learned how that kind of discipline can be beneficial. 
And a big part of this has been just accepting my responsibility for other human beings, accepting that my decisions, my actions in the world have to be in some way responsive to the needs of others, responsive to the actual bodies and minds of other human beings as they are, not just some idea I have about society, but actually actual people. Learning to see the power of sexuality and desire more clearly and accurately and put, put sexuality in its proper place within the great reality, recognizing that this is a powerful force, but it's really just one small part of the whole picture. And so to, uh, to really put it in perspective, learning to live with an open heart, being kind to myself, being kind to others, practicing generosity, practicing gratitude, forgiveness, kindness, joy. It's a constant, constant lesson. Learning to adapt to the great mystery not knowing, to, to live not knowing. And learning to make the choices moment to moment that bring freedom and ease, that actually bring well-being. And finally, just opening to the intimacy of of this. Well, thanks everyone. That's really all I have to say. And I hope that everyone finds ways to embody priestliness, ordination in your own lives. This is not something reserved for people with formal religious titles and roles, but actually Buddha nature has infinite manifestations and every person is a complete spiritual being, completely endowed with all the spiritual powers and potentials. And so all of us have our ways of embodying uh, this archetype that we've been touching into uh, during this ceremony. So, Kenji, here's the question. How did you know what, what came up for you that you knew it was time to come to the monastery? And then how, what came up for you that now you know it's time to go someplace else? Yeah, I think in both cases, it, it's not really an individual moment of decision. It feels like a whole kind of set of conditions coming together and just making that clear. Um, when I came to the monastery, there was a particular event that precipitated it in part, and that was an encounter with death, actually. Uh, my cat died. Uh, 
my cat Emerson, my beloved cat, who had been with me through thick and thin, uh, died of leukemia. And um, I was with him when he died through the dying process. And um, that, in a way, first it freed me to, to be, to go. Uh, and it uh, really brought me face to face with the great matter and with this kind of fundamental inquiry that in many ways I had been evading for a long time. And so I bow to Emerson. Um, and yeah, all the other bodhisattvas who came along to, to show me the way. Um, You know, right now, the, the five-year benchmark provides a helpful kind of reference point for um, uh, at least contemplating the possibility of leaving. And um, there's work that I have to do, um, that I have to step out of this, this form in order to do it. Part of that is cultivating my own character, my own self, and also offering in the world. And so for me, there's really a, a positive sense of something that I'm stepping into that I really uh, have some juice and energy for. And uh, so hopefully it's an act of generosity. Daniel, what Tom. is the fundamental question in your heart right now? Who is Kenyo? I mean, that, that makes it sound kind of trivial, actually, but who is looking out through these eyes? Or through this heart? And what does that have to do with this guy who's, you know, got all these neuroses and is hung up on getting things right and you know, whatever, succeeding and failing and everything else, how, how does the box in its lid? I don't know, how do, what's that about? Have you ever discovered a satisfying answer to that question? The first part of the question, there's definitely been moments of clarity and of, of clarification of of, of the what. The second part, there are moments when the question is less vexing, for sure, <laughs> uh, but it certainly hasn't been resolved. But how could they not fit together at the same time? Obviously, <laughs> Thank you for your answer. <laughs> I think you, more than anyone I've witnessed at the monastery, it seemed like from the outside it had these like openings into love, where I just would feel like palpably in your presence this this like real genuine love, and I noticed that like a f maybe some months after you moved here. 
and then again like a couple of years ago and I'm curious if you could speak like internally what what was going on there yeah yeah there's definitely something to that I think in both cases there was a, a kind of letting go. I mean, it, it is a kind of conversion experience in a way of uh, like choosing to, to turn away from a certain uh, kind of fixed identification and, uh, and opening up to something that was kind of just below the surface, an energy that was just like right there, but that I was, because of this fixation, which, you know, maybe manifests as just ruminating thoughts and kind of a certain kind of energy that I was sort of clinging to and stuck in, like a kind of depressed or a story about my predicament and like, oh, things aren't going well for these reasons. And then just at some point, there's, there's, to some extent, it is coming out of what felt like willpower, but I would say vow is really what was behind it. And, uh, and th those moments, which were not like huge blossoming enlightenment experiences where my you know, crown chakra opened up and everything, or any chakra, but uh, <laughs> for that matter, although I don't know, maybe, but, but yeah, in a way, very simple and humble uh, choices about how to show up and how to be in the world. And those were the culmination of long periods of persistence and of struggle, really, and of just persisting in the intention to cultivate an open heart. That was the first vow plaque I ever made here after, my, after a couple months, the vow to cultivate an open heart. And uh, that was really meaningful. And when I made it, I didn't feel that open heart, really. You know, I, but I must have sensed that it was there. But it's really interesting to get feedback from others, to hear from others when shifts happen. That, to me, is a real confirmation that there's... Maybe there was a shift under the surface before, but then it, it becomes visible and manifest. So, um, yeah, there are many layers to it. 